0: Welcome to Faith Fondue, a new podcast featuring me, author and speaker Haley DeMaria, and teacher and blogger Ann Strickers. Faith Fondue will feature a melting pot of topics ignited by a flame, our faith, and guided by the Holy Spirit. Each week, we will feature a theme, and the theme for this week's episode is justice. Ann, happy Martin Luther King weekend! Happy inauguration week! We are in the second week of Ordinary Time, uh, but there is certainly nothing ordinary about this week. Uh, Anne, how was your first week back at school?
1: Hi, Haley. Yes, it's the week of January 17, and we did return, albeit virtually, to school last week. And uh, one phrase that my former principal used to uh, always say when the beginning of the school year. So in August, he would always say happy new year. So whenever I hear happy new year, uh, in the school time, I I think back to then, which I thought was such a clever, uh, you know, greeting, but it is a new year, 2021. And I also, um, think back to a tradition that we had, and I'm curious if listeners do this. We had at my, at St. Ignatius college prep, a faculty retreat. So literally the new year, not the new school year, would begin with a two-day retreat. It was an overnight retreat. And I think of what an incredible investment of time and resources that was by our school community. There was probably 150 faculty members. I mean, everybody who was on staff at St. Ignatius went on this retreat and it was at El Retiro, which is the Jesuit Retreat Center in Los Altos. And honestly, Haley, I still can think back to the way I was formed and informed on those retreats uh, some of the speakers some of the small group sharing just to have that time with my colleagues was remarkable and you know we made time for prayer which was quite significant for example on one of the, the night at the night we would do a reconciliation service and it was so humbling to see my colleagues go up to a, either a priest or it could be a lay person where they just wanted to kind of just share something like a burden and to watch and see each other. And we would be in the chapel for this was really a beautiful symbol. Um, again, that notion of reconciliation, which is probably been one of our themes. If not, will be in the future. But also we took a lot of time for play. Uh, we had, you know, pub trivia, we would have karaoke. Get a bunch of teachers together away from their families. It was um, we had a lot of fun, so I just think making time for an annual retreat, whenever that is, can be such a gift. And I don't know if that's something that you do or that's part of your life, but I um, I'm so grateful that we had that tradition.
0: Yeah, I bet. I mean, what a wonderful way for your school leadership and your school community to honor your teachers and staff. I mean that you're right it is an investment, you know, of, of time and resources I would imagine as well. But you know to to come back out of the off the holidays and where everybody's probably just been stressed and maybe not as healthy as they had been and you know to really ground yourselves and you know allow for that that community to to launch into you know, not the, again, not the new academic year, but the new year. And, you know, as, as educators, we know that this time between now and spring break can get really long and really dark and you kind of plow through, um, coming back and trying to wrangle the kids. So I, I love that your school does that. I think most schools do, you know, the one day teacher professional development day where the teachers can just sort of catch up, but, um, that's the teachers getting ready for the students, not necessarily the teachers taking care of their selves, themselves. Um, so I, have, I don't make an annual retreat. Um, it's not something that I have done regularly. Um, it is one of the things that I had been seeking um, and and still am seeking. Um, you know, a few years ago, I walked the Notre Dame Trail, um, which was 320 miles up the state of Indiana, uh, we can dive into that more as we talk about retreats um, and pilgrimages, which, you know, I would like to do also. But I, at, at that time, one of the reasons that I signed up to do that was because I was Googling retreats and searching for something um, really meaningful because I don't seem to take time for myself um, to really dive in to, to my faith and to have quiet time. Um, I've led a few retreats, Um, and I think when I lead, you know, leading them is a lot more work than attending one, although attending them certainly is some internal work. Um, but I, every time I have been a part of one, I've always thought that it was something that I wanted to do more. Um, so, you know, I'm, we're a couple of weeks into 2021 here, but maybe that's a great resolution for me this year is to go on retreat, um, whether it's a day or, or longer, um, And, and maybe that's, I would love to incorporate that more into my life.
1: I think there's a a marked difference of students and communities who make that time for retreat. It's not quantifiable per se, but there is such a difference. Um, I've seen, you know, I've been part of a number of Catholic schools in my life. And I, I, I really believe that. And so I can only encourage people in whatever way, shape or form that time in prayer. And, um, whether it's, you know, you yourself make a personal retreat, or like I said, with our faculty, it was, you know, a communal retreat. Um, what a gift. So,
0: yeah, for sure. And again, I love that it was, that it was time for the faculty. Um, you're right. Catholic schools do a lot of number of retreats and, um, You know, my older son, who was a senior last spring, they did an all class senior retreat literally the weekend before they had to close schools down. And, you know, even he reflected on how the perfect timing of that, you know, their entire class came together for a really meaningful weekend that really connected them in a way that you you can't connect in other ways right you know there's a real bonding that takes place on retreat that i don't think you can um facilitate in other ways and you know, i in many ways that's what got them through those last two months of school where they weren't together was that they had had that time um I love it.
1: yeah you know a popular title for a retreat is kairos and kairos is god's time and so when we make a retreat it's god's time And um, that was obviously, I love hearing that story because I can think of the giftedness and the graces that came from that. And it's interesting, Haley, because um, at St. Francis, where I am, we are trying to plan our coaches retreat. And it's been difficult figuring out the right time because we are not participating in sports right now. None of our sports are in season. So, you know, where's God's time in all of this? And we're trying, as I keep telling my boss, who I have the most love and respect. I mean, I can't even say uh, we should talk about bosses sometimes, maybe not, but I love and respect him so much. I keep telling him, I'm trying to read the greens and that's a golfer's term, trying to read the green, feel it out of when's the right time. And we are anxious to offer this retreat because we believe in the power of retreat and it is God's time. So it will, it will happen, but it's also like, we want to feed people with something and trying to read the grade and figure out what is it that our coaches need right now. So if I was to lead a faculty retreat right now, Ooh, that would be an interesting question. That's above my pay grade, but, uh, yeah, you know, what are the
0: needs of teachers right now? Um, time come to that. Well, I'm going to add retreats and I'm going to add coaches um, to our topics for future topics because, um, you know, I know coaches aren't coaching right now. Many of them aren't in their sport, but what a what a privileged time to be a coach right now and to really teach so many of these life lessons that we're all sort of bumbling our way through. Um, you know, coaches coach, but they also um, teach. Um, Agreed. So we have a lot to talk about that we have. Um, already started on but our topic this week you know being justice and you know we're honoring doc- dr martin luther king jr this week um boy i remember growing up in arizona and we were the last state to add that as a holiday and it was really an embarrassing time to be an Arizonan because uh, we kept voting down adding um the the official holiday in the state Um, I don't know if you remember that, Anne, it was the late 80s. And we actually had the Super Bowl taken away from us. Um, They were supposed to play out at at the time what was Sun Devil Stadium. And um, boy, you know, to think that that happened in my lifetime, I don't feel like I'm that old, but, um, you know, just the social injustice of that, of, you know, an entire state and legislature thinking that he wasn't a person worth honoring um, is really... Mm -hmm pretty extraordinary um, yeah. that it was not that long ago. Um, but just the whole idea of, you know, justice, and and what is justice? And, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations leading up to this, um, about what it means and, and justice, not necessarily meaning equality, um, but but fairness, you know, making sure that that people are treated fairly and, and with compassion. We, we had a really neat guest speaker at the school where I work this week. And the topic um, doc, that Dr. Wise spoke about was raising color-brave children. Um, and I work at a through K-8 school, so we have children more than we have teenagers. But, you know, really so much of what we want to teach our kids and students and children does start at a very young age. You know, it's really hard to, to lay those foundations um, or change those biases as they get into high school so our goal is you know early childhood educators is to really instill a strong foundation and and in this topic raising color brave children she started off with an activity where she asked each of us there was about 80 of us um, virtually online um, she asked us to write down six names of people that we really trust so the names of six people that we would confide in, that we would maybe share um, our concerns, that we would open up to. And these six people could not be family members. So we, couldn't, we could not be related to them. So writing down the names of six people um, that we truly and genuinely trust. And then she asked us to look at those names and put a check next to everyone who is the same gender as us. And then put a check next to everyone who's about our same age. Uh, and then put a check next to everyone who was the same race as as we are. And as she went through that exercise, um, for all of us who were listening to her presentation, no matter our background, um, we all saw very quickly that we trusted you know, our six closest friends that we trusted were all very much like ourselves um, for the most part in my list they were women they were you know mid to late 40s and they were white um, the one exception was my coach Tim um, I felt good about that at least I had a, a an older male but but that was beside the point um, the really the point was that we surround ourselves and we trust people and share and talk to people who look like ourselves. And if we're doing that with our children, um, we're never going to create that diversity of thought that is so important when you're really forming um, messages and beliefs. And, you know, I, I just, that was such a great exercise for me to understand the importance of broadening that circle of trust. Um, And I thought it was really interesting. Father Tom in the mass that we attended today, you know, mentioned this in in a different way, in a more mainstream way, maybe in his homily, where he was talking about, you know, who do we follow on Twitter and where how are we receiving that information and those opinions and those that social commentary. And, you know, for the most part, we follow people on Twitter who we like and who we agree with and who we want to hear more from, um, but not necessarily People maybe who are challenging our thoughts, um, or people we disagree with, and you know, strongly disagree with. You know, we don't want to hear from them, but maybe we should. Um, so, in thinking about justice and and what it means to to live in a just world, which we do not right now, um, you know how important that is to to really look at who we are with and who we are hearing from.
1: You know, when I hear that exercise, which is um it's really interesting and i thank you for sharing that i i hope people have six people in their lives that they trust that are not family members that was one of my initial questions even before we assume that they're like us do we have six people right
0: uh, that's true
1: i don't know if that was difficult i mean you're a very connected person haley you make time for relationships i i would that might be the beginning challenge and then second yes we don't want you know they this is a hot word right now, the echo chamber where we're only hearing people that look and sound like us. So I think it's interesting that you did put an example, like you do have, you know, your coach. And I do believe in the power of multi-generational relationships. I think they're really important. And um, they're probably not something we take for granted. Um, it's the Senator from Nebraska, Bill, Ben Sass, he wrote about this, he wrote about it in the book. And I listened to it on Audible but he says how important he stressed for our country that we need spaces and places of um, where we can cultivate multi generational relationships. And I've never forgotten that. And I, I think that's one of the virtues of golf is that it has allowed me to um, create, you know, and maybe cultivate those friendships. Like, for example, this week I played golf with this young man. He's 25 years old. I mean, he's 20 years younger than me. He wasn't my student. Um, we're friends in any other world, I don't really know where that happens if you're not working together or related. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but I think of the power, like we said, of a coach and here, and that is, or a teacher is that you can be that person in a young person's life where you, um, you are the trusted adult. And, um, I've talked about that a lot in the school communities I work in. Like we strive to be trusted adults for young people because the only trusted adult in the building, if it's your teacher, then, I mean, we were challenged to, to be that trusted adult for maybe somebody who's not your student where you're not grading them, but you get to know them because of a club, right? Or a sport or a common interest, um, whatever that might be. So those are some really interesting tips, I think. And I always think back to the three questions that Lou Holtz, um, Coach Holtz said as a coach, but as a player, you should ask one another. So coach should ask his or her athlete and, a, and an athlete should ask his or her coach, number one, can I trust you? Number two, do you care about me? And number three, are you committed to excellence or committed, right? And you should, you have to be able to answer all three um, if we're gonna get to the same place. And I think that's a really, I think that's a great framework for thinking about relationships and maybe there's justice in those types of relationships. <laughs> I think of justice as giving a person his or her due, D-U-E. So what is deserved? And that's from Plato. We use that in my um, ethics class. The tension or the difficulty in that is, well, who decides what is due, right? Um, So an example would be if you have a disability, you are, um, and that you should be allowed to park closer to a facility because that's what's due to you, right? You have some sort of inequality you know you're lacking something therefore to level the playing field will make it more equitable but who decides is intention and that's part of living in a good society and why we need multi-generational relationships maybe because they can pass down those insights of what is due for yeah. Who And
0: yeah i i love that and i always you know when i think of you know when you're thinking about justice and you're talking about the difference between fairness and equality um There's that that cartoon that shows a picture of three different students. I'll call them students, children um, who are all different heights and they're looking over the fence. And, um, you know, if you give them all the same the same size step to stand on one, the taller one's going to be able to see over, but the shorter one's not. And, you know, really fairness or, or justice, giving them their due there would be you know, if you give them different size steps, they'll all be able to see over the fence equally. Um, So, you know, just being equal and giving everyone, um, you know, that that sense of, we obviously want people to feel as though they are valued equally, um, but I don't think we can, justice is not giving everyone equal things. It's, you're right, it's giving them what they need um, to be themselves. And another way of saying that is giving, equals,
1: you know, uh, treating equals equally and unequals unequally. And initially when my students do that, they're like, that's pejorative. That's terrible. That someone's unequal. And it's like, no, no, that's, that's true. Like something, some people are lacking. So we treat them unequally. That is just, that is like, so if you are, you know, you're hungry, you are, you know, unequal and that you do not have food. So we will give you food, right? That is, making unequals unequal like we're we're extending out care justice mercy these all go hand in hand justice doesn't work in isolation but you know who
0: decides who's unequal well again that's part of well that's (laughs) another discussion but i love that we treat equal people equally and unequal people unequally um the example would be the student who has a learning
1: difference. We give, you know, if you don't have a learning difference, you have 16 minutes on the test. Everybody has 16 minutes on the test. If you have a learning difference, we accommodate and we give you extended time. And if you need it, you use it. If you don't need it, you don't use it. Then we have justice flourishing, um, well, trying to flourish. Trying, try well, and that's all we
0: can do is ask and try. All we can do. Yes.
1: Yeah. So that kind of moves us. Um, into maybe our spiritual stew, our readings for the week, Haley. Um, you know, in, in referencing justice, um, one of my favorite psalms. You know, I noticed it, one of the lines is "Justice and mercy shall kiss," and I thought I've always thought that's such an uh, intimate image that the two. You know, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Justice and mercy shall meet; they shall kiss. But I, I looked it up. It's Psalm 85, and Pope Francis invites everyone to pray with the psalms. Because he says they're just such a a natural way to start prayer. So uh, for listeners who are interested, it's a beautiful psalm. And I'll read um, from Psalm 85. I will listen for what God the Lord has to say. Surely God will speak of peace to his people and to his faithful. May they not turn to foolishness. Near indeed is his salvation for those who fear him. Glory will dwell in our land. Love and truth will meet justice and peace will kiss truth will spring from the earth justice will look down from heaven yes the lord will grant his bounty our land will yield its produce justice will march before him and make a way for his footsteps and i just think that's such so many beautiful virtues and how they work together and a hope for our people right that Justice and peace will will kiss. I think that's our hope for this week, is that in a transition of power, that it will be yes, right, um, a peaceful and and a moment where justice can reign.
0: Yeah, and when I was you know thinking about our our theme for this week and and reading different scriptures, and one thing that really jumped out to me um, was Zechariah nine seven nine um, where it says. This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. So not much different than, you know, justice and mercy shall kiss. But, you know, th- this was something that really spoke to me, especially as we are moving towards this week. You know, I I know that there will be people who take action and say and do things that um, I will want to judge, you know, their actions and their words and um, you know, that that's something that I need to work on is to not judge, um, but to take that one step further and to to really show mercy and compassion, um, you know, that allows then for that true justice to to come through. And, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to show mercy and compassion to others who are, are doing things that you um, are really appalled by. Um, quite honestly, um, and I'm hoping that doesn't happen, but to, to try not to be judgmental or snarky um, about what what is taking place or what hopefully you know won't take place. Um, but mercy and, and compassion, boy, if we could learn to show that to one another, um, we, we really would live in a, a more just world. Um, and I know this is, you know, something that, you know, as Notre Dame alums, we we look to and 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 talk about a lot. You know, one of the things that I had hoped to watch this week is the the documentary Hesburg. Again, I'm sure you've seen it too. I've seen it a couple of times, and it's such a beautiful display of, of Father Ted Hesburgh's um, role in, in civil rights and working for justice, which was a huge thing for him. And you know the the there is a very famous picture that everybody at Notre Dame has seen, and and most probably non Notre Dame people have seen it as well, where um, Father Ted is standing hand in hand with, with Martin Luther King Jr. And they're singing. Um, and it, it, it's really an iconic picture for domers, for people from Notre Dame. Um, but Anne, you had a, you've had an interesting take on that, um, that I would love for you to share. Cause I, I think it's really interesting for those of us who love the photo, you know, what does it really mean? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it hung in LaFortune Student Center. It's, it's
1: certainly been used um, ever since, right? There's been increased awareness on anti-racism. And I've, I've read a couple of alum who said, here we go again, um, we're showing this image. And I, when I read that, I, I, under, I, you know, I wasn't shocked. Um, when there's an image or a symbol, it can have great power. But at some point, if it's used too much, people kind of, um, people, I don't, I don't know how to say this, Haley. I mean, what's the sentiment that it's. Well,
0: you become immune to it. I think you just sort of see it as, um, you know, for, for better or worse, I think it's, it's a picture that, People just sort of put up there and say, "Yep, I'm all for justice," but are they really walking the walk? And those are actually words that Notre Dame uses. You know, they've really taken a "Let's walk the walk" campaign, um, and and I think they're they're really striving to do that. Um, yeah. But but I can I I know exactly what you're saying, and I I can hear the criticisms that people have shared with you. I get it. You know, people show that picture and kind of stop there. Um, and boy, that's not enough. What we need to do is emulate what that picture means, um, and the spirit, um, of, of fighting for justice that that image represents. Um, you know, again, it's, it's like going to church on Sundays and then, you know, honking your horn at the guy who cuts you off in the parking lot. Um, you know, you really do have to take meaning from that photograph and, and, and carry the spirit of the photo with you and not just hang the photo up or post it on social media yeah and you know nobody markets
1: their materials like our Notre Dame but you know at that point it, it it falls into that danger zone and you don't want it to lose its meaning and and make it the couch for oh no we got this we have civil rights look at our former leader it's like it, okay yes that moment happened and it's an incredible moment they they lock arms they're they're in they're in song they're you know lifting their voices in song which was such a significant part of the civil rights movement, when their spirits were weary, they were still able to right, raise their voices in song in unison with one another. But it can't stop there. And the work has to go on. And by reading Black Domers and listening to different, uh, you know, contributors to Black Domers, I've I've learned a lot more about that. And that's why, you know, you saying name six people you trust. You know, a personal challenge for myself is to diversify that group. And by reading Black Nomers, I kind of did a personal inventory of that as well. Um, You know, do I have Black friends from Notre Dame? Um, I really, there was one Black woman in my dorm. Why was that? You know, what's it like today? It's, you know, it's better, it's different, it's more diverse. But who are, you know, part of why I love Notre Dame is that it wasn't a four-year experience. I continue to cultivate friendships in the university because of our shared love for the university. So are those friendships today more diverse than they were when I was living in Farley Hall? I hope so. Um, you know, And what? where else can I go with that? And that's also a multi-generational thing as well. I, yeah. I, one person that came to mind for me is somebody who graduated in 71. He was the first black president at Notre Dame and he is somebody I trust. I, I absolutely would put him down and um, he's really reached out to me, but I've reached back and I'm grateful for that. Um, so I want to be mindful of, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's Uh, also, um, you know, Notre Dame is doing a, a, a Q and a discussion this week with, um, the Dean of the law school, uh, Marcus Cole, and then, um, yeah. Alan Page, Alan Page. Yes. His name was blanking me. I could see him there. Um, a monogram winner who, um, we had, I had the good fortune of meeting through the monogram club and I, you know, Marcus Cole wrote a really, um, powerful, um piece i don't know if it, it wasn't a letter but um it was something that was posted on social media um that it, the title of it was i am george floyd but i can breathe and yes. um you know the the main takeaway from that once you get through the very powerful personal stories that he shares in it was to be very intentional about reaching out to expand your circles Um, and that it's not enough to wait for, you know, the, the, that diversity of thought or community to come to you, but we actually have to be very intentional to go out and, and, and to bring it in, you know, to, to welcome it in and to seek it. Um, and that, that actually, that has really stuck with me since that piece came out last summer and we'll attach a link to that for people who want to read it. Um, but that's, you know, that ties into, you know, who are those six people and, um, I, I too, I too will be intentional and, and I agree. I think, I think the diversity of my friends from Notre Dame since I have graduated is much different than the diversity of my friends from my time there. and uh, you know that's certainly a gift too. yeah Well,
1: you know, and I think, I think in friendships, you, know, I've talked about this with my faculty because we've done a lot of work on anti-racism as well. The school I'm at now and the one before, certainly it's been an ongoing commitment. And you don't want to just make somebody your friend because they, for example, I'm white. So I don't want to just make somebody my friend because he or she's a person of color. But it's also like, I want to learn. I want to, I want to hear perspectives. And part of just taking in part of friendship is just being interested in the life of another person. And if a friendship's born, what a gift. And if not, you learn along the way. So I can't, I don't know what my six people looks like a year from now. That might be interesting to think about, but I certainly know, yes, like you said, reaching out to people. And and I think there's nothing more affirming when people ask, what do you think? Um, I was just so grateful when, you know, this past week I blogged about somebody like Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And a lot of people just didn't say anything to me at all when she was nominated. It was not a comfortable time. But for people who just said that's a big deal because you're a Notre Dame grad, like that's a big deal, what do you think? And I, I was just like, thanks, you know, like please don't assume that you know what I think and thank you for asking. And then in return, what do you think? And, and if we don't agree, so be it, but if we do, okay. You know, so I think that's part of justice is, is seeking to know um, about the other. Whether or not it's a shared opinion, but just genuinely like you know wanting to know what is important to another person,
0: right? And and again, going back and then really listening, right? Not just asking the questions, but really listening yeah. to what people have to say. And I, I think so much of um, the the turmoil, without getting political, that we have seen in our country is people who, for years, have felt like they haven't been heard. Um, and that they aren't being treated justly. Yeah. Um, and they yeah. haven't been.
1: Yeah. What um, do you think? Correct.
0: And, you know, again, a takeaway for for us um, for the week, I think, is, is to be mindful of of our circle. And it is to be mindful of what's going on in this world. Um, and unfortunately, the injustices, the injustice is that we will see this, you know, as we move through the week. Hopefully it's it's not significant or permanently damaging at all, um, but to to try to go through this, move through this week and this time with, with mercy and compassion um, for, for, th- for those of us who are trying to struggle and muddle our way through um, just doing the best we can to, to live a just life.
1: Well, I, I think that's, you know, as we move towards the melting pot, kind of like The takeaways are kind of our pieces of perspective and nuggets of wisdom. You know, I I think, you know, Dr. King was also a reverend, um, right? He was a Baptist minister. And so, so many times I have prayed, I have used his very words in my prayer life. So one of the quotes that he loved is from the prophet Amos, and it's, uh, rather let justice surge like waters and righteousness like an unfailing stream what a beautiful image for righteousness and justice. And San Francisco, um, the urban Buena Park has a waterfall and those words are etched in the background from Dr. King. But one of the, my former colleagues would always, you know, conclude mass with you know, um, kind of a call and answer. And he'd say, let's, and the students would say, roll, you know, go cats. And uh, let's roll is just a reference to let, you know, justice, like it says here, surge like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. So let it let justice roll is kind of the synopsis piece. So I think um, I, I read letters from a Birmingham, I used to teach letters from a Birmingham jail. That was one of the prompts um, when I applied for, to Notre Dame was to respond to something from letters from Birmingham jail. Um, and I actually hadn't read it in high school, but I remember that and thinking, oh, that's probably something I should read. And then having read it years later and having taught it, it's also a a wonderful, um, primary source by which, you know, you could read and pray with,
0: uh, Dr. King's message there as well. So that's a great, that would be a great piece. Um, probably for most of us, I've actually never read it. Um, I'm embarrassed to say so, um check back in with me to make sure I've done that. Um, I, I need to pick that up, or if I have, it's been a long time, and it's certainly not something that's part of anything I've read currently. Um, so that that is a good takeaway for me. And um, well, that's
1: part of our tradition here, I would say, is letters, right? St. Paul wrote letters, and um, you know so much of scripture is these letters. And so in that way, if you frame it that way, Dr. King's letter from this jail cell is really within, you know, the Christian tradition of, um, he wasn't certainly the only person that was imprisoned, right, and in terms of the faith. So really living out his faith and living that out in, in a place like prison. And um, I think this week, um, I was struck by the words of Sister Helen Prejean, she advocates for people in prison, specifically men and women on death row. And um, I don't know if people caught it but for the first time, um, the United States um, executed a woman named Lisa Montgomery. Um, it was for a 2004 murder. But um, the US government, the federal government, hasn't executed a woman since 1953. And she's the only woman on a federal death row who died. Um, Helen Prejean was the Latari medal winner at my graduation in 1996. I would think a lot of my classmates think of her as the commencement speaker because she's such a dynamic speaker, but her whole life has been spent advocating for men and, like, men and women on death row, so in prison. And um, she had a very powerful tweet and she said the death penalty is fundamentally a poor person's issue. Over nearly 40 years of visiting death row facilities across the US, I have never met a single person with money or resources. Capital punishment means those without capital get the punishment. So she challenges us to think about the justice, right, of the death penalty, and she does it by living and really ministering to these people, in a, I think a profound way.
0: And and I think that's a great sort of launching point for for this week. Um, you know, for next week, for next topics. Um, you know, there. There are many people, even in talking about the vaccine, you know, do we do we give the vaccine to those who are incarcerated and, um, you know, and and a lot of people say no. But when you really do look at, you know, who 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 are in our jails, they are our most vulnerable. And in many ways, they are our most vulnerable because of the situations that they have found themselves in and in many ways, um, you know, not due to their their own actions, but just sort of the nature of where they are and um, living without capital, um, as she says. But you know, ju- thinking uh, justice isn't something that we should think about in January or on Martin Luther King Day. It's it's really something that needs to be lived every day, every week, um, every month. Um, you know, I I appreciate um, again. You know, I had mentioned being embarrassed living in Arizona and not celebrating Martin Luther King Day um, when I was younger. Um, I would like to think that maybe Arizona was just ahead of their time um, in in realizing that we shouldn't just honor um, his life and his work for justice one day a year. We should really do that every day of the year. Um, I don't think that's what Arizona was thinking at the time, but um, I think it's a great lesson for us to remember um, to to really honor his work and not just talk about it um, or talk about justice one day or one week a year. Um, but we will this week and and as we should, um, you know, we'll have a, trans- a transition of power, a peaceful transition of power, which is a hallmark of our country. And um, I, I look forward um, to that in many ways, and I look forward to hopefully seeing the best that our country has to offer. We will certainly be praying this week um, yeah. for everyone in the Capitol, in Washington, D.C., in the state capitals um, and across the country.
1: Yeah, you know, Haley, hearing you speak about MLK as a holiday, I used to always say it's not a day I students, it's not a day off, it's a day on, a day on for justice. So I, you know, had wanted to petition, and I would hope millions of Americans feel this way, petition the NFL that, you know, his holiday, or MLK holiday would be a national day of service. So we have the holiday and we have the inauguration in the same week. You know, that happens every four years. But wouldn't it be awesome if every American went out in their communities and did service? And it shouldn't be, to your point, like one day a year. But I think there's something to be said for that. And I thought the NFL could really lead the charge because um, this weekend we have great football. We have the playoffs, which people love because it's always exciting games. But, you know, the majority of teams now are done. And so couldn't they lead, you know, in these cities, 30 cities throughout the United States, couldn't they lead their efforts to, to do acts of service? Um, it wouldn't take the NFL to do that, but it could be one group that could really help promote it. So that's always been a dream of mine. I, I, I don't have Roger Goodell's cell phone, or um, I'm sure he's busy right now, but I think it'd be really awesome. I would love to join, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan and George Kittle and working um, locally to yeah. Have- Need those, you know,
0: who I love that. So, if you're listening, Commissioner Goodell, that's a we'll tag it, we'll tag him in it, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> t- it. we'll tag him in the tweet. Well, thank, thank you, you. And I always love our conversations. This is certainly an important one again, not just for today and this week, but for us to remember always. Um, we will be back this time next week, um, after a week of prayer and justice, amen. amen. Thank you, Haley. Thank you. Have a great week. You too.